On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to Episode 30 of On Screen and Beyond. Today, our special guest is Billy Gray, who played Buddy Anderson on Father Knows Best, which was uh, just recently out on DVD, along with playing Bobby on the original sci-fi classic, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is also available on a special DVD that's out right now. And it's also about to be released in theaters on December 12th as a brand new remake of the original movie, and it stars Keanu Reeves. So that's something you want to check out because it's a, it's a really involved interview. And I also want to remind you of our poll question on the website, onscreenandbeyond.com. Who played the best James Bond with a new James Bond movie out? We're wondering, who do you think played the best James Bond? All right, now if you go to our front page of our website, scroll down to the bottom, you can cast your vote, you'll see the list of the people who've played James Bond. Pick which one you think did the best job. Or is doing the best job, whichever way you want to talk about it. Oh, we want to, with the holiday season coming up, Christmas and everything, we have a special little thing on our website uh, with a few gift ideas for you. Now, what we've done is uh, people we've interviewed who are currently selling some uh, uh, CDs or DVDs or something that you might want to check out and uh, makes a nice little gift for somebody. Like um, Chad and Jeremy have a new CD out. And, of course, we interviewed Chad a couple of episodes ago, and they have a new CD out called Archaeology. It's their newest CD. And we have a link on our webpage, so you can get to their webpage, and you can get yourself uh, that CD if you'd like. Or if you're interested in um, how to get into the acting business, of course, Stan Livingston, who played uh, Chip Douglas on My Three Sons, has a project that he's been working on called The Actor's Journey. And there's also the, uh, the, there's a version for kids and there's a version for adults. And uh, if you want to get those DVDs that tells you uh, all about how to get into the business and little things that you don't normally hear about, uh, if you want to listen to the interview we had with Stanley, he talks all about it. And it's uh, something that you should have before you try to get into the business because it'll get you around all the problems that uh, other people have uh, encountered on the way. And you might want to check that out. And also, we have a new one that's going to be up there that uh, we haven't even put the uh, interview out. In fact, I just got off the phone uh, with him just a a short while ago. And uh, you might want to check that out because we have uh, an actor and a composer, a former Mouseketeer, also another alumni from My Three Sons, Don Grady. He played Robbie on My Three Sons, and he was one of the Mouseketeers. And he's a composer, and he talks about all the things he's been doing in an upcoming episode, but we want to get this out information out to you. He has a new CD out, and you may know a lot of his stuff about uh, that he's composed. He's composed music for the DVDs for uh, all the platinum editions of uh, the Disney movies that have come out. Uh, so he's quite a composer, and he, like I said, he has a CD out called Boomer, And you might want to check that out and pick that up as a little holiday gift. All 
right, my guest today on On Screen and Beyond is a very talented actor who started out many years ago on one of my favorite sci-fi movies, The Day the Earth Stood Still. He played the main character of Bobby, and he was also Bud Anderson on Father Knows Best, and he's a motorcycle enthusiast. Welcome, Billy Gray. Great to be here. Well, looking over your career, it's amazing all the things that you've done. Of course, uh, Father's Knows Best is out on the second season on DVD. Uh, I'd like to start probably with the beginnings of your career. How did you get into the, the acting business? Well, my mother was an actress, uh, Beatrice Gray, mm-hmm. and she uh, she appeared with uh, 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 Bob Steele, who was a, uh, a Western hero at the time, uh, Johnny McBrown was another one, and Hoot Gibson was mm-hmm. another one, and uh, she, uh, she she was a little person, and, uh, and so she uh, she worked a lot with uh, Bob Steele because he was a tiny guy too, and so she was uh, always uh, opposite him, or not always, but she she did several movies with him, and her agent uh, suggested that uh, that she could probably get me some work if she sent me out on uh, some interviews. I was about five or so at the time, and, uh, and so I, uh, I, I uh, just got into it, uh, uh, a family business, basically. Do you remember the first acting job that you had? Actually, the early acting jobs were were pretty much uh, uh, not memorable. They were the kid on the street, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, newsboy, newsboy. Uh, uh, you know, get your get your paper here, that kind of thing, and uh, bit parts is what they call them. Yeah, and uh, I did uh, probably four or five years of, uh, of uh, you know, come in and say your two lines and go home and collect unemployment insurance. <laughs> well, I noticed in the early fifties you were doing an amazing amount of uh, of TV shows and movies. Uh, was that the time when you like you did Mind Pa Kettle? Uh, one of their movies. Yeah, yeah, that uh, and uh, and started to get uh, bigger and bigger roles as time as time went on. And uh, yeah, I did. I worked a lot. I worked uh, pretty much uh, seemed like all the time. <laughs> now, how was that being such at, at a such a young age, working so often? Well, it didn't feel strange at all because it was. Uh, it was uh, what I it was it 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 was what was and uh, and that seemed normal to me the you know starting at five you kind of haven't got much perspective on uh, how things uh, ought or should be and uh, I just thought it was fine it got to uh, got to you know be involved in something that was uh, kind of kind of interesting the nice thing about it is everybody treated you like you were an adult which I I, I appreciate it very much because really? this on a set of a, of a movie or something, it's kind of a no nonsense place. You know, you don't. Uh, everybody's there to to get the job done, basically, and mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of has a, a nice atmosphere. It's a respectful atmosphere. Now, I, I noticed that you also um, had an appearance uh, as a uh, extra. No, I don't know if it was an extra or. Uh, I'll have to look it back and see. But uh, on the Adventures of Superman, you were you were on the show. Yeah, yeah. No, I I never did any extra work actually. Uh, th- that's a whole other deal, uh, a different union even at the time. But uh, I did do I did do a, a small part on it. Uh, I actually uh, uh, had forgotten about it. Uh, Jack Larson, uh, who played uh, the Cub Reporter, uh, Jimmy Olsen, years later, that uh, that I had done a. Uh, uh, 
a Superman, and I'd forgotten about it. And he insisted that I had, and, and then somebody sent me a copy of it, so I, I know I did. <laughs> so what it was was I'd I'd, uh, I'd been uh, out with a camera and and uh, accidentally got a shot of uh, Superman changing his outfit in the uh, in the phone booth or something, you know, and uh, and so it was uh, it was kind of important that they get a hold of the uh, the negative. And, uh, I remember that episode, and <laughs> now that you mention it, um, I have the collection of the Adventures of Superman on DVD, and um, I remember that episode. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was me. Yeah, <laughs> it's odd what you forget. I mean, I, I you wouldn't think that you'd forget uh, doing a Superman, you know? Right? Yeah. I mean, that's you know, it's different than all the others. It's you know, such a a thing yeah, that is drilled you, into. You'd think, and but I, 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 none of it was terribly memorable to to me. I, as a matter of fact, I I discovered that I had done uh, I had a scene with uh, Humphrey Bogart that I didn't know I. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, it was a, a movie uh, called In a Lonely Place. And uh, he's a he's a screenwriter in it, and uh, and he and Adolf Manju are are his agent, I guess, or representative or something, manager or whatever, uh, are walking into the Brown Derby uh, to have lunch or something, and uh, me and two or three other kids are are outside the uh, outside the place on a kind of a small. I was standing on a little small wall so that I was I was eye to eye with him. And I got to ask him if, if he was anybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, great line, you know. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and then he uh, he said uh, no, but uh, you can talk to my friend. And we went back and forth. I had a couple of couple of lines, and uh, I I totally forgotten about it. And, uh, and and here I was I was watching this movie on uh, on television, and all of a sudden I said, hey, that's me. <laughs> Now, of course, when you were, I don't know how old you were at that time, uh, you were below 10 or 12, probably? Probably 8 or 9. 8 or 9. I'm sure you, you didn't probably realize who you were working with, did you, or did you? No, not really. I mean, he was just, you know, pretty much another actor, as far as I was concerned. And uh, I, I didn't know he was uh, such a big deal. I'd also noticed that uh, you were one of the sons on um, the Seven Little Foys with Bob Hope and James Cagney. Right, yeah, that was odd. That that came uh, uh, in in a hiatus uh, uh, from when we were doing uh, uh, Father Knows Best. I guess it was the first first or second year. They uh, they they, they kind of do twenty six shows and then and then and then uh, rest for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, on that rest period, uh, I got to I got to work with uh, Bob Hope. That must have been quite a thrill. Well, I mean, she was she's quite a quite a character. Yeah, and a really genuinely nice guy. Yeah. Now, were you on set? I know James Cagney wasn't one of the main characters, but no, I didn't meet him. Uh, his uh, his kind of cameo was uh, was the dancing on the top of the table. I right. Yeah. I don't think he he was in too much more of the movie. I don't think. Yeah. But uh, I didn't I didn't run across him. Yeah, that was always a favorite movie too. I always enjoyed that movie. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought uh, uh, Bob Hope did an incredibly good acting job in that. He really, it wasn't just that he wasn't just uh, mugging it like he does right uh, in, in a lot of his stuff, you know, which is uh, the road the road stuff, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah, this was an actual acting job, right? Yeah, he did a really wonderful job. Yeah, it was a little different for him. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, of course, Father Knows Best, that probably was one of the ones really threw you into the limelight, I'm sure, with all the, the craziness yeah, that must be gone. It was. There wasn't much limelight. Uh, I never experienced much as an actor uh, uh, on that show, even, because it was uh, it was just a continuation of my my acting. I'd been I'd been acting for ten years or so before mm-hmm. before that came along. So it uh, it was just another job to me, and uh, it just turned out to be a long job. <laughs> I think I I don't think I'd done much television or or any that I can remember uh, before that. Uh, I think that might have been the first thing. Most everything that I did was uh, was movies. Hmm. Yeah. Prior to that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Now um, it lasted 203 episodes. I noticed. And it went from 1954 to 1960. But I understand CBS actually canceled the show during the first year because of yeah, low ratings. It was the first year or so, and uh, and uh, uh, and then there was a, a big uh, storm of letters uh, uh, that, uh, that convinced uh, NBC, I guess, to pick it up. And uh, so they they uh, NBC went uh, went with it and put it in a better time slot. I think the reason it didn't it didn't uh, wasn't successful. Uh, or at least CBS didn't think it was successful, uh, was because it started out at 10 o'clock, which is too late for a film. Oh, wow, yeah. That's <laughs> so it, 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 but it did find an audience and uh, uh, found enough of an audience to, uh, to, to, to make, a, make a fuss when it, uh, when it disappeared. And, uh, and so it did get picked up by uh, CBS, and they, they had it at 7.30 or 8 o'clock, which is, which is more appropriate. Now, did I read correctly that ABC actually took it over too at one point? I think it might have been on ABC as well, but I I don't remember what the circumstances were for that. That might have been uh, they might have picked it up later on or something. Because uh, uh, I I I remember going out uh, and doing some some public relations stuff uh, uh, for NBC, uh, but I don't remember anything involving uh, ABC. I understand somebody somebody else mentioned that that it, that it was on all three networks and I I, I take their word for it I just uh, I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you were on the show, were you recognized on the street and you know becoming one of these teen yeah, idols? After after, uh, after the first two or three years, uh, I I did notice that if I was uh uh you know have, sitting in a restaurant somewhere that uh, I'd be able to catch people's eyes, you know, you would look around and all of a sudden you You'd be eye to eye with somebody. They'd be looking at you. you know? <laughs> it was kind of a. It got to be a little bit of a game, kind of. You know? Yeah. Now, what was your age when you were on that show, roughly? It was fifteen, uh, fifteen and a half. I had a driver's license, uh, so it's like fifteen and a half to twenty-one. I think. Yeah. Six yeah. years of of making it. Yeah. Was it enjoyable the show? Uh, you know, working yeah, I mean, with the people. The, the I mean, it certainly had its ups and downs uh, 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 as far as some of the some aspects of it, but uh, but the working conditions were uh, outside of being long, which I which was kind of common in those days. Uh, 
but other than other than the length of the days, because we would shoot ten or twelve hour days, we're not not all that uncommon. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we and it was seven days. It wasn't seven days. It was six days a week. We worked Saturdays uh, on a normal basis too. Hmm. And so, the, other than the other than the the time that, that's involved uh, away from you know other activities, uh, it was it was really quite enjoyable. Everybody was uh, uh, everybody was uh, just wanting to do the best they could, and uh, and we had a terrific uh, producer. Who uh, who made sure that everything uh, was done top top notch? It, it, the show was owned by uh, Robert Young and uh, and uh, and Eugene B. Rodney was the it was his partner who, who did the actual producing of the show, mm-hmm. and uh, and they had it on uh, radio for several years, and then uh, and then when they brought it to television. Uh, it, oh, this is an interesting story. When it was on radio, it was called "Father Knows Best" with a question mark. So there was intended some irony in the in in the statement, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, but then when it went to uh, uh, television, the only the only spot, uh, the only sponsor that they could find, who had a, a, a time slot open and available, was Kent Cigarettes. And uh, uh, Kent Cigarettes had the ten ten o'clock uh, hour. Uh, uh, open and so they 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 they, uh, they sponsored it initially. Yeah. And then, but the, but the deal was uh, that they didn't want a question mark at the end. They didn't want the ambiguity about it. You know, no yeah. irony. Uh, they wanted a, a, a definitive uh, or a declarative statement. Yep. Father knows best. Period. And uh, I talked with the, uh, Bob Young about it. He, he said he fought for the. Uh, the question mark, but it was a it was a deal breaker for the uh, the murderers at uh, at uh, P. Lorillard and uh, Kent Cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. And one one has to wonder why, uh, 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 because the, the the statement "Father knows best" is is downright tyrannical. It's, uh, yeah. it's fascistic, even. Right. Yeah. And uh, and yet that's what they uh, they insisted, and they were they weren't going to take the show unless the question mark was dropped. Huh. I mean, that's an odd thing for a deal breaker like that. Yeah, you know? isn't it? Yeah, and and Robert Youngster thought so too. But uh, uh, and and he he had he had to roll, you know. I mean, because that was all that was available. And mm-hmm. So they uh, they dropped the question mark. And Robert Young was part of the radio show, correct? Oh, he was he was the owner of of the whole deal. Oh, he owned the, the radio too. Oh. He, it was he and his partner. Uh, 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 Gene Rodney, uh, who created the who created the television or the radio show, mm-hmm. and then and then they, as the Cavalier Productions, uh, took it to television. That's one of the reasons it was such a pleasant uh, uh, set was because Sir Robert Young had had been under contract at uh, MGM for years, and and was he he wasn't a television person, you know, he was a, he was a movie star, uh-huh. and so uh, seeing he owned the show, uh, he, he shot it like it was a movie. He made sure that all the conditions were exactly the same as, as if he were doing a movie. Hmm. Uh, we just had the one camera and uh, 35 millimeter, and uh, and we shot it uh, the, the conventional way. You know, you do the master shot, and then you go in for close-ups and over the shoulders and, and cut back and forth and all that, all all the standard stuff. Hmm. It wasn't like uh, 
what they do now with three cameras. Multi-cameras, right. Do yeah. it live and then go back and pick up the mistakes. and yeah. It's a whole different deal now. Yeah, run through run through it three times. <laughs> yeah, run through it a couple of times and then and then do it for an audience that's already prepped for you, you know, and no yeah. deal. But uh, this was just like being on, on a movie set and uh, and very leisurely and uh, no uh, no pressure except for the well there was the assistant director it all falls on him to to be the to be the the, the I don't know the ramrod kind of you know mm-hmm. these guys we're losing we're losing light here you know we gotta we gotta get rid of this we got we only got ten pages today you know <laughs> but but everybody kind of uh, knew that that was his job and kind of. To look, you know, just uh, made allowances for it. Right. Was uh, was everybody close knit? Did you did you associate with the people off the? No, we did. We were, were close knit on the uh, on the set, but uh, we didn't socialize uh, uh, with each other. In fact, I, I uh, young in in the six years that uh, he, he he did take me to uh, he took me flying one time. Uh, he had a, he had an airplane and was a, a, a real enthusiastic uh, pilot and. Uh, and we went up to, uh, flew up to Santa Barbara and, and, and back and had an afternoon in the, in the sky. But that was the only thing I can remember that was uh, of a personal nature that, uh, that everything else was just pretty much, uh, professional. And, uh, mm-hmm. you came and did your, did your job and you went home and, and they, they had their, they had their lives. Well, later on, I, I actually got, uh, uh, to have a personal, uh, uh, relationship with Jane Wyatt. We, uh, we stayed in touch after the show and, uh, and, and she would, uh, she would invite me to, uh, to escort her to various uh, events. She, she was, uh, a member of the Academy and, 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 and went to the theater a lot, you know, and so she, she kind of, uh, made it possible for us to, to have, uh, to have evenings out, which was fun. Mm-hmm. She was she was a great a great lady. Not uh, not at all. Uh, uh, in fact, she had a little bit of a problem. She felt uh, doing the the, the mother uh, the mother role because she's not at all like uh, uh, what was imagined for that character. She she comes from uh, old old money uh, back east uh, uh, Boston type thing, you know, mm-hmm. tea at four and all that kind of thing, and. Uh, uh, and she she didn't really uh she had no real connection with uh, middle america uh and so she kind of uh, i mean she felt like she was struggling all the time with it which was kind of charming but she did a wonderful job oh yeah yeah yeah. Now, do you ever see uh, now? Naturally, Robert Young has passed away, and, and Jane Wyatt. Um, but any of the other people from the show? Do, do you ever see them anymore? Uh, occasionally, uh, we we get together. Uh, they're they're uh, they have these uh, things, uh, uh, memorabilia shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we've we've run across each other at, at uh, a few of those from time to time. And uh, they they uh, Eleanor lives uh, up in the, in the. Uh, uh, high desert, uh, area, uh, like, uh, 29 Palms, not 29 Palms, but out there, like Palm Springs, Palm Springsish area. Mm-hmm. And Lauren lives in uh, Florida, so we don't really see each other very often. Ah, uh, yeah. We talk from time to time. Now, in the 70s, the late 70s, uh, there were two reunion movies. Were you involved with both of those, or? Yeah, I, 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 I was, luckily I was, uh, because, uh, they, they were, uh, they, they, I, I got, 
when we started uh, uh, talking about it, uh, they, they wanted to uh, give us a, the kids uh, uh, just, uh, I forget what the figure was. I think it was uh, a few thousand dollars or something. And uh, I, I, uh, I told them I wasn't terribly interested in, uh, in, in that scale of, uh, uh, you know, I wanted more money. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the, uh, the the lady who was producing it uh, hadn't hadn't really seen the show. She didn't know uh, she didn't know anything about it actually. Really, I don't, I don't know quite why they picked her. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was, uh, it was Jack Valenti's daughter, uh, Renee Valenti, who's, who's, who who was kind of a, a, a mover and shaker in the industry for a while. And uh, anyway, she. Uh, she said, "Well, if we can, we can go and we can use somebody else for Bud. You know, don't uh, don't sweat it. And because uh, uh, I, I wanted some, I, I wanted a different pay arrangement mm-hmm. than they had they had offered. And so she uh, she she said that they were they were uh, uh, prepared to uh, to recast Bud, and that that was uh, that was her that was her uh, negotiating ploy." Uh, it just wouldn't have worked. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would work very well, and, and uh, so I just kind of ignored it. But uh, I, I got I got what I wanted. Yeah, finally. It's funny how they do that. You read that a lot, where the producers they'll mention of a of a remake or something like that, and it's always the producers don't even remember the show or or the, the movie, and it's like, right. why, well, I know why they're doing it. <laughs> money, obviously, but. You know, they're seeing that they could make some money off it, but you would think that they would do a better product if they at least know what the show was about. Yeah, <laughs> you'd think. Anything that uh, you remember, any stories that uh, come to mind when you think well, about the show? That, that was made, it was interesting about that particular, the reunion show, the uh, the, the first one, was that they, uh, I think they probably sensed they might have a little problem with me, uh, because they uh, they made the uh, the character Bud uh, turn out to be a motorcycle racer, and, uh, <laughs> so I guess they figured they had me there. Right. <laughs> so what, what could I do? Because I had been uh, at the time that that happened. I'd been I'd been racing professionally for about uh, I don't know three or four years, mm-hmm. and uh, which is something I I did for about twenty three years actually. I kept on kept on going, but. Uh, it was great. I got I got a chance to uh, have some footage that I uh, that I uh, that I'd acquired uh, of me in a race, and I told them about it, and uh, and they they incorporated it into the uh, into the story. Oh, that's neat. So one of the one of the scenes is uh, is me uh, uh, in the living room with the screen up, the little sixteen millimeter screen up, and I'm. Uh, I'm announcing uh, basically, or, or doing the voiceover of the of the of me going around the track. That's mm-hmm. a cute scene. Any memories of the of the show itself? Anything that uh, well, to mind? yeah, the show. Uh, the, the the thing that was was most uh, 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 troubling uh, was that you couldn't change anything, which in retrospect is probably a good thing. But uh, every word had gone had been gone over by uh, Rodney, uh, Gene Rodney, and uh, and and if you tried to transpose an and or a the, it just it just uh, was like uh, uh, I don't know, it was just unheard of. 
So the script was the script. The script was the script, and the words were in the order that they huh. were in, intended to be, and then that was it, you know? Yeah. And the, the golly G's and the chief willikers, or well, I don't think I ever had to say chief willikers, but, the, but there were quite a few gollies and G's that I, I just was really difficult for me to make believable. <laughs> Now, when you mentioned about the motorcycle, did you, even though you weren't racing professionally or, or at that time during the show itself, did you actually ride a motorcycle? Well, actually, during? I was racing. Uh, oh, you were? Yeah, but they didn't know about it. Oh, I was going to say, did they have a problem with that? Uh, but it wasn't the kind of racing I got into later. It wasn't speedway racing. It was the drag racing. I had a, uh, a, a, a Triumph, a 650 uh, Triumph, mm-hmm. 150cc Thunderbird, and... Uh, I ran it on uh, fuel, uh, nitromethane, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, in 1956, uh, got uh, got the quarter mile done in 121 miles an hour. Wow, which was bad for that that time period. Yeah, and uh, but I was doing that on the weekends uh, since I got my since I started uh, got the motorcycle uh, when I was 15. So I, I was I was racing before I got the Father Knows Best, and in and then for a couple of years into the into it, uh, uh, I was doing this on weekends. And then when they found out about it, they thought that that wasn't such a good idea, and they uh, they kind of uh, put the kibosh on that. <laughs> but I it was odd uh, though because they, I, I I had a street bike as well, and I I would ride to work on the bike, and that was way more dangerous than. Uh, and racing, yeah. and racing a, a quarter mile drag race. L.A. traffic. Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> At least everybody on the racetrack, everybody is. Yeah, everybody's it, going in the same direction, right? And in control, and or as much as possible. <laughs> well, as far as your movie, which, like I said earlier, was is one of my favorite sci-fi movies, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Of course, they're remaking it again, and it's going to star Keanu Reeves and Jennifer Connelly and Kathy Bates. Um, uh, that movie, you were one of the main characters in it. How, how was it working on that show? It was fabulous. That movie, right? The, uh, the, the, the director, Robert Wise, was a, just a, a splendid person altogether. Uh, the nicest person that I can remember uh, coming across in the industry. Just a, a real sweetheart. And he did West Side Story, Star Trek, uh, Sound of Music. Yeah, yeah he, he went on and on. And uh, the... the uh, what was that one with uh, with Steve McQueen on the, uh, the Chinese uh, Chinese River? That's I forget what it was, but a great movie. Anyway, he's a great director. Yeah, and uh, and, a, and a super guy. And 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 uh, Michael Rennie was a was a, a super gentleman as well. English background, mm-hmm. so he was very uh, uh, I don't know proper. Yeah, and he was perfect for that role. He was perfect, wasn't he? Oh. Yeah. They, 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 were, they had talked about uh, uh, somebody had mentioned Spencer Tracy as a possible for that. That didn't go. That didn't get very far. And then there was uh, Claude Rains was mentioned, which would have been a little better. Yeah. And uh, I think it was somebody else was mentioned too. But no, but it had to be Michael Rennie, absolutely. And the same with the uh, with Sam Jaffe it had to be uh, had to be Doctor Bernhard. You know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Oh, he was great. I mean, he had that look. <laughs> There's a little bit of a story there too, because he was uh, 
he had he had been to a a, a meeting or something uh, uh, at one point in his early life, and uh, and and somebody uh, turned his name in as uh, as being a, a, a commie sympathizer. Hmm. So he got on the uh, he got on the the red channels, uh, which was a, a book of uh, people who were blackballed from the industry, hmm. and uh, they. Uh, when when he was mentioned for the uh, for the, for that character, the the, uh, the casting department came back and said, "Well, we can't use him because he's uh, he's on the list." And uh, and, and apparently uh, Daryl Zanuck uh, uh, said, "Well, screw that. Uh, this guy's this is who we want, and I'm not going to let anybody tell me how to cast my movie." And yada yada yada. He stood up to the uh, to the to the blacklist and uh, and hired the guy and uh, obviously did a, was a, was the right thing to do. Oh yeah. But it took some courage uh, to do it in those days. That was 1951, and uh, and the, the House of American Activities Committee was in full full blossom with McCarthy uh, running his mouth off, his drunken mouth off, and uh, creating creating a bunch of ugliness. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there's a, a, a Jane Wyatt got caught up in that uh, as well. Really? Yeah, she uh, she had gone uh, back uh, to Washington with a with a plane load of uh, of celebrities. Uh, and she was uh, she, she wasn't quite to the stature at that point uh, in time uh, that, that some of the other people were that went back. But the mere fact that uh, that she uh, that she voiced a, 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 an opinion about how she didn't think that it was uh, was very, the Un-American Activities Committee was very American, and uh, so that was enough to get her on the list. Boy. But uh, she would, didn't work for two years after uh, after going back there, and she was her career was just uh, you know uh, ended in, in effect, and uh, and she, the next job she got was uh, was Robert Young and. Uh, and and uh, Jean Rodney uh, hiring her as uh, as the mother. Hmm. It's amazing how much power those people had yeah, at that time. Yeah, yeah, to turn around and just you know ruin people's lives yeah. at that will. You know. <laughs> well, apparently it's uh, it's 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 a, it's a it's an old it's an old story. Uh, I mean, we're seeing it now. How was it for you as a twelve year old, and you're on this set? And, of course, at that time, UFOs and the spacemen and the Mars and all those things that are going on. And here you are. You're on this set with uh, a, a robot and a flying saucer. And did you get a chance to run around on those things? Oh, yeah. That was, that was my uh, my whole thing was running around. In fact, my, my nickname early on was the Gremlin. <laughs> so I was constantly running around. Where is he? You know. So, yeah, it was it was fun from that aspect but i didn't really take too much uh didn't think too much about it uh, as far uh, at the time because it was like it was just another movie basically mm-hmm. uh, uh even though it was it had these kind of strange uh elements to it yeah but it, it wasn't until much later that i that i realized what a what a profound uh, uh statement uh, they were making and uh and how serious the movie really was. Yeah. I had no idea at the time. No. Yeah. Well, that's one thing about that movie. It, 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 I, I think of it as a thinking sci-fi movie as opposed to, you know, blow them up and blow everything up. And it was just done so well. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed on the remake, but I'm, I'm not having much uh, uh, 
I'm, I'm doubtful as to whether they're going to do it justice. Yeah. Because they left out, for one thing, they left out Klaatu Barada Niktu. How can you have the dead listed still and no Klaatu Barada Niktu, I ask you that. <laughs> yeah, how... <laughs> Really? See, I haven't heard much about the film, other, you know, other than they're making it and who's in it. But uh, I, I like Keanu Reeves. I think he has a kind of a, a physical similarity to uh, to Michael Rennie. Even, mm-hmm. You know, that kind of distant uh, unconnectedness uh, that he kind of I don't know if he if he acts that or if that's just the way he is. But uh, yeah, but it's kind of an otherworldliness about him. So I had I had good hopes when I heard that that was happening, but then. Then I heard they uh, they changed uh, all kinds of different stuff about it. It's not uh, it, 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 he's not coming down to warn as much as he's coming down to destroy. No. The decision has already been made, and uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I haven't. Uh, I read I read a portion of the script. Uh, that uh, actually, I, when I heard about it, I wanted to be involved. I was wondering if I was going to ask you that if there was ever an attempt to get you I, to uh, be in. I went and got an agent and. Uh, uh, and, and ask him to inquire uh, as to uh, if they would be open to a cameo of some kind, because I, I would certainly be in, uh, up for it. Mm-hmm. I didn't care what it was, you know, a bartender or yeah. you know, whatever, just you know, just to be involved on some level. And uh, so they sent me uh, uh, the agent got me a, an interview with their casting uh, people who were casting it, and uh, and they sent me some sides uh, to. Uh, to, to do a reading, and, and they sent me this, the uh, the the uh, script, uh, four pages of, of the script for for uh, Doctor Bernard. Uh, so they wanted me to read the uh, the, the, the Sam Jaffe role, which mm-hmm. totally took me incredibly by surprise. I, mean, I didn't think of myself as uh, in that. Uh, uh, I just didn't. I just didn't. Never occurred to me. Never entered my mind that 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 would. But that's the, that's the pages they sent me. So I started thinking about it, and uh, and I said, "Well, why not? I'm 70 years old, or Christ's sake, I could be a I could be a scientist as easily as the next guy, you know." And so I uh, I went down and did the did the reading, and and in the in the reading, the uh, the the it, it has uh, there's a piece of script direction that says uh, uh, the camera notices the tattooed number on his arm, and uh, and so apparently, Dr. Bernhard had done some time in, uh, you know, Auschwitz or Grindelwald mm-hmm. or Dachau or somewhere. Yeah. And uh, and so I thought, well, Jesus, well, if the guy's got a tattoo on him, he's going to have to have a little accent. And I didn't have a German accent, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in my pocket. Uh, and and I didn't feel like, uh, I mean, I, I would have tried, you know, but uh, uh, give it my give it the college try, but. The casting person said, "No, don't bother with the accent," and and I just uh, I, I did I did the reading without the accent, and uh, and but then I kind of thought, well, that, the guy's got to have an accent if he's got a tattoo on it, right? Yeah, you know? even if it's a mild one, you know. So so I went and and and, and a friend of mine uh, uh, had a little camera, and we and I, so I did the last uh, last couple of sentences from the. Uh, from the from the script the script they had given me uh, after I after I'd gone and uh, and talked with a uh, uh, a voice coach uh, who, who who instructs uh, people on uh, dialects and whatnot so I, I did a little bit of ground you know a little little little, little backgrounding and uh, and so I came with a with a with a, what I thought was a, a reasonable 
soft uh, accent and uh, and sent it to him, uh, but I never heard back and uh, hmm. never heard anything one way or the other. So I guess uh, they're they're going a different direction. Is I think the term of art and uh, when you're <laughs> when you're not accepted. You know, they yeah. don't say we don't like you. It's just we're going a different direction. Yeah, that's too bad because I mean, having you on it would have been like at least bound it together. Because sometimes when they make remakes, it's like why call it the remake because it's nothing like that, you know? Well, maybe that's the reason they because it, it is nothing like that. And, yeah, and, and uh, so they probably would have been at cross purposes to have me in it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's. You know they're using the title, and it's it's such a classic. You know it's too bad. It would have been would have been neat to see you in the film. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Now uh, I'd like to get into your motorcycle experiences. Uh, so you were you were a racer. Uh, yeah, well, I did the drag racing. Uh, you know until uh, until the studio found out about it, and then uh, after the show was off uh, for about uh, oh six or seven years, I just uh, was enjoying my life and then discovered uh, a thing called speedway racing. And I'd never I'd never seen it in person before. It's a very peculiar uh, kind of uh, racing format. It's just four guys on, on uh, uh, real lightweight bikes. They're 500 cc's and they operate on uh, alcohol, so there's, there's fuel. And, uh, and it's four guys that do four four laps from a dead stop. They're at a at a, at a gate, basically like a like racehorses. Mm -hmm. and, then the, and then the gate goes up, and then the four guys do four laps, and uh, and whoever wins uh, transfers to the uh, to the semi, and uh, and then the first two uh, winner and second place uh, transfer to semis, and uh, and then the the, set, the people who get out of the semis get into the main event. So it's a, uh, it's a. You get to race three or four or five times a night if you're uh, if you're if you keep winning or keep coming in second. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the over the course of uh, of 23 years, I uh, I got uh, I got some marvelous experiences out of it because it was uh, it's the most thrilling uh, thing. Cause there's no brakes for one thing. No brakes. <laughs> no brakes. And uh, and the way you the way you slow down for the turn is on an oval. And, and you're going down the straightaway, and you, uh, you, you pull yourself up forward on, on the bike a little bit, and then, uh, uh, let the rear end slide around, and you back into the turn to slow yourself down a little bit. Kind of like a sprint car, if you've ever seen a mm -hmm. sprint car yeah. on, a dirt, on a dirt track. It's the same motion. You, 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 you pitch the, pitch the rear end around, and then, and then you get yourself facing back in the other direction, and, and you go down the straightaway and then do the same thing at the, at the turn. And, and the nice part about it is it takes an incredibly uh, 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 full commitment to uh, to accomplish it. You can't sneak up on it, kind of. You've either got to just get that rear end around or you're going to run into a wall. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a very zen, uh, zen-y kind of thing. You know, you're... If you have any uh, second second thoughts or doubts or hesitations, you're you're in deep trouble. Right? <laughs> you, you just gotta go for it. It's very much like acting that way. Yeah, acting is uh, if you're if you're not fully committed to it, uh, it's very awkward, and uh, everybody knows that uh, it's not working. And it's the same way in speedway. If you're uh, hesitant or uh, 
or a little bit uh, uh, reluctant, it uh, you look like a fool. Hmm. And what's your average speed when you were doing it? Depends it depends on the size of the track, but mainly the tracks that we were on were very tiny, uh, eighth of a mile, uh, some quarter mile races. They were faster, and then there were some half mile races, and they were really fast. Hmm. And on the half mile, you get probably approaching a hundred miles an hour down the straightaway with no brakes, no brakes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and on a quarter mile, you're probably uh, getting to 70 or 80. Yeah. And uh, and then on the little tracks, you're probably getting to 60, uh, 60 or so for just a second. And then in the middle of the straightaway, and then you and then you then you pitch the rear end around, so you're in your slowdown mode. You're turning, yeah, to get you turning in. So, like you say, you have to be committed to do that because <laughs> you you don't want to be no, no no sneaking into it. Right. Yeah. Wow. Now, do you do uh, any more? Well, I actually, uh, I did do uh, a, a, just a, a demo uh, or, or kind of an exhibition thing uh, uh, last year. Uh, I still got my bike, and uh, so there, there, there's a track that was open, opening up the city of industry uh, uh, down there in uh, oh. East LA, basically, or east east of downtown LA, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I, I've got to come out and do a couple of laps uh, just to just to kind of I don't know what they call it uh, help promote the place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was great fun, and I I'd like to uh, uh, I, I did a thing uh, years ago. Uh, in fact, just before the. Uh, or just after the uh, the, the Father Knows Best reunion show, where they where they had the, the Speedway uh, footage, uh, just after that, I uh, I promoted uh, six races up in Bakersfield at the Baker at the uh, fairgrounds in uh, um, in Bakersfield, and uh, it was on a diamond uh, shaped infield, and that's that's uh, that's my own I- idea basically, and and what it does is that sometimes when when four guys are on the track uh, there's one guy that's on the pole and then everybody's kind of in back of him and if there isn't enough dirt on the outside to actually go around the guy that's in the lead it turns into just a follow the leader so you see four guys and they're just going around around the racetrack and mm-hmm. if the guy in the lead uh, makes a mistake then somebody gets by you know on the inside but uh, it 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 more often than not uh, makes it makes for a dull race, and so my concept was to have a, a diamond, just so that instead of an oval at the end or a half circle at the end, you, it, it comes to a point at the apex of the turn. So there's no way to guard the pole. So if you go in in a, in a normal a normal arc, you're leaving a whole bunch of room open inside that someone can push in underneath and sh- and take your position. So you you can't. You can't maintain what you wanted to do, hmm. so you you've either got to go in real tight and come out uh, and leave a whole bunch of area open on the inside coming out, so that somebody can zip underneath you. In other words, it's a dogfight yeah. in every turn, and uh, that that I was trying to I was trying to design something that could go on TV mm-hmm. because these races, if, if there's no passing, it it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't translate to TV well. It's just kind of Ho hum, you know. Here's a bunch of people going around in, in a circle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and but but when somebody's passing somebody, that's 
that's exciting. Right, yeah. And so I was trying to design it so that every turn there, there would definitely be passing one way or the other. And I, I, I got the idea from, from a, uh, a race that I was in years, years earlier, uh, which I didn't have a, I didn't have a prayer, uh, at, at being, uh, at being in. The, the, the people that, that were in the race against me were, uh, the seven time or five or six or seven time national champion. Mike Bast and uh, Bruce Penhall, who, uh, who later, a few years later, came on to be two-time world champion, and me and another guy who was uh, was the third uh, that year had, had had finished third in the nationals, and it was just and me, and so I was really underdog. I don't know how I got into the main event even actually, but here I was in the main event, and and so what I did was I jumped the uh, I jumped this little berm that, that develops. Uh, on the outside, because everybody kind of stays on the pole, because that's the shortest way around. Mm-hmm. The dirt gets thrown to the outside, and uh, and so I just went around the outside, uh, and and Mike Bast, uh, who's un- unbeatable basically, uh, saw what I was doing and came way out to the out uh, by the wall to get in front of me. Did a big slide job on me, and uh, and and got in front of me, and so and then I just turned left. Underneath him, and 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 passed him on the way out of the turn, and then he did the same thing to me on the other turn. So we we swapped the we swapped the lead the lead swapped sixteen times in four uh, in four laps. Uh, it was it was the most exciting thing I'd ever been involved with, and uh, and people have told me years decades since it happened. People still. Say I was there when when that race was was run, and it was it was just I ended up winning. Oh, really? Wow! Fortunately, and, uh, and Mike afterwards uh, came by and said, uh, grabbed me by the arm and said, "Nice race," you know, hmm. kind of through his teeth, actually. <laughs> but uh, but it was a nice race. And yeah, it sounds like it was an exciting one. It gave me the the impetus to to realize that, that if the, if the conditions are right. Uh, this show can go on TV, so um, that's that's my master plan. When when one of my uh, ships comes in, and I have a few extra hundred thousand dollars to to throw at at, at uh, making a pilot. Uh, that's that's what I plan to do. Huh? Yeah. So you're still always thinking about different things to to do, huh? Oh yeah. Now I also noticed we're getting into that. Um, you're also an inventor. Yeah. In fact, there's a. Uh, Several of them are right uh, on the on the cusp of uh, of getting some uh, some decent uh, acceptance as well. We've got uh, we've got a uh, uh, my partner and I. Uh, uh, I don't play guitar uh, other than just maybe a stroke or two. You know, mm-hmm. I can't call myself a player at all. But my my partner is does play, and so we we came up with a uh, a guitar pick, a unique guitar pick. Uh, uh, F1, www.f1, the number one, pick.com, and mm-hmm. uh, that's our website. Yeah. And, uh, it, uh, it, it has this uh, peculiar pick that has a, has, it bends back around on itself to create a little saddle that you can put, that you rest it on your, uh, on your index finger and put your thumb down on it and it, it keeps the pick from twisting. Uh-huh. And, uh, people, uh, People have uh, have taken to it uh, hmm. over the years. Now we've gotten some incredibly uh, supportive uh, messages back from people who've tried it. In fact, we've got a uh, somebody who who uh, who, who uh, 
uh, Roger McGuinn, who used to play for the, uh, the Birds. Yep. Uh, yeah. He's uh, he's just now come on board as a as a, as a uh, uh, what you call it when somebody uh, Spoke, spokesperson. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he says he's 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 letting us use his uh, his name and, uh, and and the fact that he uh, he likes our products uh, in our advertising. So hmm. he says he's, uh, we're we're sponsoring him with with product and. He's letting us uh, say that uh, he's a, he's a fan of our products, so that's that's starting to happen. Great. Now, and we've got another one that's uh, uh, called the Champagne Key. Now, what's that? Uh, champagne ChampagneKey.com. Well, it's just now being built. It'll probably be up tomorrow or the next day, and that's a uh, that's a tool to uh, uh, open a champagne bottle without uh, without spilling anything or without having a pop uh-huh. it goes uh, it goes on the on the you hold it in your hand like a big pair of pliers basically only only they're vertical and you set it you set it over the over the, the cork squeeze down and then you then you undo the little uh, the little wire thing because mm-hmm. that's that's when you undo the wire thing it's liable to just pop right off and so you you put this thing on it and you grab it and then you undo the wire thing and then you slip it up slowly until it, until the the, uh, the rim of the bottle has a has a ridge a ridge on the bottom of it and it that stops on some stops that are on the inside of the tool and then you tilt it back and it goes pssst, you let out the uh, it's a controlled pressure release mm-hmm. and we just got a uh, 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 a communication from. Uh, the French government, who uh, who's very very picky about who who uses the word champagne. Oh, really? Yes, because you can't say you make champagne uh, unless you unless the grapes were grown on a uh, prescribed uh, area in France. Huh? I know that? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a big deal. The people who make champagne here, like California champagne, can't call it champagne. Huh. They actually, they have to call it sparkling uh, something or other, sparkling wine or sparkling this or sparkling that. But uh, but they have a uh, they have a, a bank of lawyers that any time anybody tries to trademark, uh, we were trying to trademark. That's how we found out about it. We were we were trademarking the name Champagne Key, and we got a little notice uh, from uh, the, the the French government and the, and the Association of Champagne something something something. Yeah. You know? That, uh, that said, we 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 may oppose this. We want to, we want an extension of time to decide whether we're going to uh, oppose your uh, your right to use uh, the name Champagne. Hmm. And uh, so we didn't know what to do at that point. We got rid of so in any event, we in in the conversation they they've seen the they've seen the, the product and they say we like it and you guys can use the name and we'd like to give it give some to our our members and. Maybe we can help you distribute in France. I mean, they just they just came on board. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it is great. It's just, it's incredible, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And, uh, so for, from from an ugly situation, it turns into that they're gonna they're gonna try and help us uh, help us get uh, get going because it, it really is a, it's a beautiful design. If I do say so myself, it has a, an antique ness to it uh, that that that's. That, uh, it carries on the tradition of uh, of, uh, of fineness mm. that Champagne likes to associate itself with. Huh. Wow. So there's that, and then there's another one that uh, that's just now getting some uh, some recognition too, called the Data Viper. Dataviper.com. 
I got a little website for that as well. And that, uh, that we haven't made the tooling on that yet. Uh, the, uh, we've got some samples out and people are liking it, but, uh, we're yet to make the mold. But we're getting, we're getting enough enthusiasm to where the mold seems like it's going to be a, a thing to do. And what it does is, uh, if you've ever had a CD, uh, that you wanted to throw away, but you didn't want to just throw it in the dumpster because somebody might take it and play it. Right. Whatever. So a lot of people, businesses, uh, uh, shred them. They have, uh, they have mm-hmm. these big, giant mechanical shredders and they stick them in there and they go, yeah. <laughs> And and uh, and they can't be uh, the material can't be recycled at that point because it's all mixed in with uh, other stuff and uh, paper and whatnot. And so that it's all car- polycarbonate is what they make those discs out of. And polycarbonate is kind of an expensive uh, product. And so what what this little data viper we're calling it, uh, what it does is it it uh, it it's, it inserts into the hole in the in the disc. And, and there's a little ridge that catches in there. And then there's a tooth uh, uh, on the body of it that you press down into the, uh, into the, the I don't think it's, I think there's a term of art for this, the lead-in to the lead-in to it. I think it's called the index or, uh, or uh, table of contents or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, first, the first eighth of an inch, basically, of, of, uh, of, you know, they read from the inside out on the discs. Mm-hmm. And so it's the first thing, first thing you come to. We put a little groove there, uh, just, you just notch a little in the thing, and if you can see light through it, it's uh, totally, uh, uh, unusable. Hmm. You can't read it, uh, you can't repair it, you can't send it to somebody and say, fix this. Uh, it's, it's a done deal. Huh. So all you have to do is go like that with this little thing, and you can, Rest assured that you're not going to have your identity stolen or any, uh, you know, anything, uh, business information or, or embarrassing, uh, songs or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and then it, it can be recycled at that point because it, 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 uh, it hasn't been shredded. And so it, uh, we're hooked up with an outfit called Green Disc and they, they're a, uh, they're a, they're a greendisc.com and they, uh, they are making, uh, arrangements with big, uh, retailers, uh, like, uh, uh, uh Blockbuster is one that they're in conversation with right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and other people like, uh, uh Staples or, uh, Home, uh, Home Office or, or, or Office Depot or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fries, uh, any place that handles electronics and whatnot, uh, Best Buy, yeah, and, and major major retailers. And what he's going to do is he's got this green disc guy. He's got a box, uh, a big box that he'll set somewhere like uh, near the exits or whatever for recycling your uh, your your uh, uh, you know, abandoned uh, electronic gear. You know, like uh, anything anything that you that, that's electronic that you that shouldn't just go in the trash. Right. Yeah. Because it can be, it's got heavy metals and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Like hard drives and all, all of the, all the paraphernalia that, that, that gets, uh, what do they call it when you, uh, when it's obsolescence is built into it. So every couple of years, <laughs> right. you get rid of a whole bunch of junk. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's his business is, is, is taking this, uh, uh, this uh, throwaway, uh, electronic stuff. 
recycling it in a in a uh, environmentally friendly friendly way. So so it's a green it's a green deal basically. Yeah. And uh, so he likes the, he likes the idea of this thing. So he's he's thinking of of attaching them to these barrels so that people can bring their discs in and go, you know, and, yep. and then throw them in there and not have to worry about anybody looking at them because they can't uh, they can't see anything on them. Huh. And uh, it'll probably retail at about four bucks, you know, three ninety five or something. Yeah. So it's and a- uh, and we're we're talking to iNation. My partner came up with this this thing as well because. He had a bunch of discs around and uh, didn't know what to do with them, and uh, so we, we started thinking about what what we could come up with, and we came up with the uh, with this uh, data viper, hmm. and, uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we're talking with a, an outfit called iNation uh, that makes uh, a, a pretty good percentage of, of the discs, yeah, the discs that are out, yeah, and, uh, big and company. We're, we're we're hoping that they'll see clear to. Slip one of these into with their stacks. You know, they sell them in, you know, like packages of fifty or a hundred. Oh yes, yep. <laughs> and then they, if they can slip one of these little, uh, our, one of our little data vipers into each one of those, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Wow. And uh, and apparently there's uh, tens of hundreds of thousands of of discs are destroyed uh, uh, yearly. I'm sure. There's tens of millions, apparently. Yeah. And so, if we can do our, if we can get this thing as ubiquitous as as a, as a as a rubber eraser in a in a in a desk drawer of a, of a business or you know whoever's got a computer or deals with discs, this ought to be you know the, the, a tool that's readily at hand in in the little uh, in the little utility tool drawer of your desk. Right. Yeah. Huh. Hopefully that'll turn into millions and millions and millions. Yeah. <laughs> we got one, did one a long time ago that did turn into millions and millions. So about four or five years ago, they, they'd sold over seven million of them. I don't know what the figure's up to now, but it was a little thing that, uh, it was a spring form, uh, a little wire spring, and it was, uh, three quarters of an inch in diameter, uh, and, and an open, open, uh, open, uh, spiral. And what the deal was, you, you you screwed it into the bottom of a jack o' lantern, a pumpkin, and then you could stick your uh, utility candle in it, and uh, and it and it would uh, it would stay upright. Yeah, you didn't have to melt any wax into a dish or right. a hole or whatever. And as the candle burns down, it heats the wire and uh, and melts the wax away from the wire, so it self cleans. So you can put another candle right in it, hmm. and uh, uh, it was safe to light. We called it. And uh, we sold uh, my partner and I when we started making them ourselves. We we made them in a uh, hundred, put them in a box of 144, and sold them to uh, these uh, places that, uh, that sell uh, pumpkins on the street, you know, on the road, mm-hmm. f- farm farm stands, basically. Yeah. And so uh, we called it the Medusa box because it was a spring of 144. And once you, if, it, if it jiggled around a little, you pulled, you tried to pull one out, and the whole box would come out. You had to unwind each one. So we didn't package them individually, but we sold eighty thousand of them huh. just just like that uh, ourselves the first year. And then we found somebody that uh, that wanted to, you know, take it to China and have it done right. And so we licensed him to do it. And he, like I say, he sold several several million of them. Wow, what you know, probably probably close to ten million by now. Hmm. So you're a man of many talents. You <laughs> I, I, I do I do have a uh, my mother tells me that uh, anything 
anything that, that, that was brought home that, uh, that could be taken apart, uh, I, I generally ended up taking it apart. So I kind of had been curious, uh, about the physics of things, uh, for, for a very long time. Hmm. And I happened to have a, a, a dear friend of mine left me, uh, when he died, he left me his, uh, his uh, Bridgeport, uh, milling machine. So I've got a milling machine in my garage and, uh, these, these machines are so marvelous. You can, it's about the only machine that can make itself. You can do everything on them. Huh. So I, I, I take every opportunity I can to, uh, to get in there and, and work on something, a prototype or something. Huh, that's amazing. Just one more thing before we finish up here. Um, recently I was at a film festival. And I saw a documentary called um, "On the Edge of Black and White" with a lot of the stars from the you know fifties. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I yeah. I remember doing it. Yeah, yeah it, it was from 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 uh, when when black and when television was in black and white. Right, going from black and white to yeah. color. And I think I think uh, I think Father Knows Best did was was a part of that transition too, because I I remember at one point the lights got a lot hotter than they were. And and then and somebody told me, well, we're shooting in color now or something. And, yeah, yeah. And I don't recall it being in color, but uh, looking at it, but I I always think of it as black and white. But maybe there is some color stuff out there. Yeah, but I remember when I saw that film, I had seen you in it, and they were talking about uh, how it changed. Everything changed at that point. It was a very interesting documentary, and uh, uh, Tony Dow was in it, and John Provost. It was very interesting. Yeah, I I remember. Uh, 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 Voicing my opinion that uh, that uh, that television has has not been used properly, as, as I recall, I, I was uh, upset that, uh, that, the, that the 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 possibility that that television uh, presents, the fact that it could be in in virtually any any home or any household, and 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 could could be programmed to instruct on on so many. Uh, uh, subjects and levels uh, that its that its use as a commercial vehicle is uh, is a sin of of, of great dimension. Uh, the fact that it isn't being utilized to to educate uh, in the way that it could. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the greatest thing since since uh, movable type, mm-hmm. and uh, movable type was a big deal. Billy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, My pleasure. It's, it's so interesting to, to hear you talk about all these different things you're involved in and, you know, reminiscing about the, the TV shows and the movies. We appreciate it very much. Well, it's been, been fun, Brian. I appreciate your being interested. And we want to thank Billy Gray for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, there's so many things that he talked about. Fantastic to, to listen to about the things he's done. And uh, we all love those TV shows he was in and the uh, movie he was in, things like that. Movies, I should say. Um, so we want to thank him. Uh, it was very, very interesting to talk to. And uh, let's see, coming up uh, on the next episode of On Screen and Beyond, episode 31, um, I'm not sure exactly who is going to be the guest. Uh, We uh, will wait and see. It's going to come out fairly shortly because I want to get it out before the holiday season gets here. And that just about does it for this episode of On Screen and Beyond. So uh, until next time, take care. (music)